Hey, this is Dave Pryor for the Reluctant Agilist, sponsored by projectmanagement.com. I'd like to thank them once again for being a sponsor. I'm going to try to share this podcast out with other folks as well, because we're going to talk about something that I think is very, very important that will be valuable for a lot of people. And Jason Tanner is here. Jason, thank you for taking time out of your Friday afternoon. Thank you. Looking forward to this. Yeah, we've been trying to get this sorted out for a long time. So Jason uh, is another CST, and he has a company called Applied Frameworks. And why don't, can you just tell him about your background before I start messing it up and stepping all over it? Sure. So after college, I did nothing with my engineering degree <laughs> in mechanical engineering and aerospace uh, engineering, and I went straight into the Marine Corps as an officer and was in the infantry for just over nine years, where I did everything from leading rifle platoons, running around in the mud to heavy machine guns. And then I went to the School of Infantry, where I actually had my first exposure to professional training. Then back to the East Coast, where I did another tour, eventually leading a rifle company and several deployments to the Mediterranean, all around the Mediterranean Rim, Tunisia, Israel, Turkey, wow. Italy, and then into Bosnia. And I was the second Humvee to go into Kosovo during the oh, man. peacekeeping operations there. So wow. that was almost like my last thing before I got out. So my, my entry into civilian life was, uh, I, I look back now and kind of laugh, I, I stumbled into IT because it was the one recruiter who actually knew somebody who could actually interpret my resume. <laughs> okay. So I was hired by uh, WorldCom uh, before the bankruptcy, by spending a year at WorldCom as a network engineer uh, for an e-commerce network. Okay. And um, that was a great experience because I became a, a certified Cisco network uh, associate which meant that I could get hired in my next company, which was a network bandwidth milling company where I was actually a, a startup software company. Okay. So I went in as a sales engineer and then we closed the biggest deal in the company history, which was with Intel. And they looked around and said, uh, you, you go manage the project of deploying our software. I'm like, okay, how do I do that? And somebody threw Microsoft project at me and a project plan and said, go follow this project plan and lead the project. So yes, I am a recovering waterfall project hey, manager. Hey, you don't have to recover from that. <laughs> just, you just embrace it, wear it on the inside. <laughs> I'm proud yeah, of so it. Yeah, that was great. So uh, yeah, I spent three years deploying our product with a, with a bunch of great people. I'm, I'm actually still friends with several of them. And you know, being in the field deploying software, you tend to complain to the home office about all the things that could be better. Okay. And after about three years, the home office said, oh, this is great. Come be the product manager. I'm like, okay, <laughs> how do I do that? And someone threw the pragmatic framework at me and said, there's 27 boxes here. You do, you do all that. So I, I found my way to becoming a, a product manager. More traditional, writing you know, market requirements documents and product requirements documents. And we had pretty long release cycles. It was a pretty contentious relationship with engineering. Uh, and we sort of stumbled along for a couple of years and then we had a change in management. So a new CTO came on board and uh, asked the development team what they wanted to do differently and they chose Scrum. So Stacia, Roderick at the time, Stacia Viscardi came in as our CST yeah. and taught a 
CSM class and suddenly we were sprinting along and, and really changed the dynamic of the company. That, that so what year I, was that? When was that? 2004-ish. Okay. Right around 2004, yeah. So yeah, it was great. I mean, I learned a ton. I, I, I tell stories in my, in my training classes about how I learned more as a product owner going to daily scrums about software development than I did in six months as a product manager. Wow. Just I had no idea how, how they actually did what they did and, and how my community. Even though you have this engineering in. background. Right. Well, oh, I'm the worst software coder in the world. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I can, I, can, uh, I can tell you, you know, how to make uh, more lift out of a wing and, and jet propulsion, but I have no idea how to write the code. Okay. So I was one of the questions I had sort of planned before we get into our main topic was like, I was going to ask you what makes somebody like a good CSC or what kind of background do they have to have? And I just making notes while you're talking. So I'm just going to say this back. And if somebody's curious about whether or not they need, what kind of background they need to be a CST, here's what I want to say. You've got military where you learned about actual professional training. Then you worked at a large telecom. Then you went to a startup. Then you worked on mergers and acquisitions. Then you went and became a project manager. Then you became a product manager where you learned about pragmatic engineering and had a, con a contentious relationship with the background that you came from, which was engineering. And then you learned about agile. Right. So if people just do all yeah. that, they'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, I think the, to me, becoming the CST, the background is the ability to communicate effectively new concepts and new ideas, because I think the common thread through all those jobs, including the military, was how do you influence change in others, whether supplying a new skill, you know, pulling a trigger on a machine gun, or applying a new skill to conduct a meeting differently, or plan a release differently. That's really what it's all about, is the presence and the knowledge and capability of sharing it, which to me motivates most CSTs. Yes, yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I feel like I'm on a personal mission to make that transition, transition suck less for other people than it did for me. Um, yeah. Sorry, so the main, the main reason we're having this conversation is because when Jason, Jason works with a lot of folks who are preparing for the CST, and one of the things that I've noticed is that the folks that he helps tend to be really, really solid and really, really sorted out. And I know you've got kind of a, an intense way of going through it. So I was just wondering if, if you could maybe talk a little bit about that or we could kind of get into um, what kind of things you think, if there's people out there that are getting ready to start or they're starting to work on it or you know, wherever they are in their journey towards it, what kind of things do you think are really important for them to focus on that they often miss? Sure. So the starting point now for me is that I'm looking for someone to, to contact me who actually has real classroom experience. And that is best when it is already at least half a dozen two-day classes under their belt. Okay. Now it could be it could be intro to agile for teams that includes uh, Scrum and similar learning objectives to a CSM. It could be some sort of uncertified Scrum Master course, some type of training. So I've got to see some evidence that the person actually is taught. So, because so, I've, I've, oh, good. I, just, I just found myself in these situations where I invested a couple of hours 
in talking to someone and, and then find out that they haven't taught at all. Yeah. So that, or, that's or, or one day classes or brown bags, you know? Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you is do you, for, for me, I always want to see that they've taught um, and I've gotten more, I'm trying to get more strict about that because I've had the same experience that you have. Um, but does it have to be agile? Like, do you think that somebody could be teaching something else and still have have started to get a handle on how to manage a room, how to keep people energized, stuff like that? Yes. So any kind of training would be good. However, then we're getting into a timing question of of is the timing to work together right if they're not if they're not going to be able to put together a, a package for the the trainer approval committee when we're done working together, if there's going to be a one year lag time for them to gather the necessary experience with two day scrum classes, they might be better served just waiting until they've got that because then it's much more relevant what we're doing together. And I'd say much more timely. In fact, right. They can walk right out of our class and walk into it back. So you want them to have a little bit of training in the agile side and, and why, why two days? Like what's, what's your reasoning for that? Why more than a day? I'm mapping that to what they're going to have to produce for their application okay. submission. So you're yeah. trying to make sure that they're they're pretty much at a state where they're ready or as close to ready right. as they can be. Okay. Then, well, at least they've got the experience, right? Just looking for, yeah. I've, I've started on the path. I'm aware of what the requirements are and I've started to fill in my form listing all of the trainings that I've done before. Okay. Okay. Even if it's only five, it's fine, right? Yeah. When you're teaching, are you one of those people who um, at the end of like the second day or the fourth day, if you're doing back-to-backs, are you, are you somebody who gets energized by teaching or somebody who gets kind of depleted by teaching? I used to get depleted. Okay. And now with using a, you know, accelerated learning approach and using training from the back of the room, I don't get depleted. Okay. I wouldn't say I'm totally energized. I'm, I'd say I'm like, okay, that, that was good. I, I sort of do my own reflection and I'm just ready to move on to the next thing. I, I wouldn't say that, that it energizes me because I think I'm like one of the edge case borderline extrovert introverts. Okay. Cause I, I kind of like to tune out for an hour or two and just be alone for a while when class ends. Yeah. So that, so it doesn't totally energize me. I do get pumped up by the light bulb moments. There's those times where someone says, oh my goodness, that last hour just was totally yeah, worth world changing. the entire two days, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think to me, that's why when people ask about the two-day thing, um, or they're like, well, why isn't my lunch and learn okay for that requirement? That um, To me, I think you have to know at the end of the day, what you're going to be like at the end of the second day and how are you going to refresh, how are you going to get it back for the following day? Like for me, I'm pretty wasted at the end of the day. I can't, I'm the decision fatigue is just exhausting and, and I have to have ways to recover for the next morning. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I'm always looking for with candidates when it's the two day, you know, if they're doing multiple days, like how do you get back to a place where you can teach people again by the next morning? Right. Um, Yeah. Okay. So let's say they come and they've got this stuff. Then what's your, what's your next main thing? So I asked them to send me their initial personal statement, why they want to become a CST, which uh, is a prerequisite for us to have a call. Okay. And what are you looking for in their personal statement? Uh, I'm just re- looking for 
one, how they communicate in writing and more importantly, what's their motivation? You know, why, why do they want to do this crazy job? And, you know, as great as it is, it is a lot of work. I mean, I did 60 classes this year. Yeah. I've, in fact, I'm, that's a probably an inaccurate count. It feels like it was more, but it's kind of a grind and it's not easy. <laughs> yes. it, you know, it's you, a wonderful, it's a wonderful invigorating grind where you're constantly learning that. Yeah. And so I'm looking for the, their, their reasoning, their logic, tend to get some insight in their background and, and how they're describing their own journey to this point in their life where they want to go down this path. Okay. It just gives me a better understanding of the person so that we're ready to have the conversation about how we might work together. Are there things that you've seen in personal statements that are just like full stops for you? I wouldn't say they're full stops. I've just seen some personal statements that, that read like resumes and don't really get to the why okay. and, and the reasoning. And, and, they're not just, and, and those are just opportunities for coaching for me. It's like, okay, let me give you, you know, top five things you need to do to re- re- rewrite this before we're done Yeah. Um, at the end. I, I, haven't, I haven't actually said to somebody after reading a personal statement, I don't want to work together. Uh, it's, it's just for me, it's the entry point into our first conversation. Well, do you feel like that there are certain answers that indicate that they have no idea what their answer actually is? Like they never thought about it that way. Occasionally. Occasionally it's sort of a nebulous reasoning of I, I like Scrum. teaching. Yeah. Scrum is awesome. Yeah. Um, usually I get more insightful you know, Scrum had a profound impact on me, and here's how it had an impact. I want to share that. Uh, some people have very specific personal missions. They they want to. Uh, I have one candidate who wants to bring Scrum to uh, underdeveloped uh, regions of the world. Wow! And literally, one person wants to you know, spend a lot of time in remote parts of India, where they're not being served because all of the training in India is you know centralized in these you yeah know, major cities. cities. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I guess for, for me, I always feel like people need, they need to have some kind of understanding of their mission because it is, you're on the road all the time. You wake up sick on the road. You still have to go teach and you still have to be in, you know, full of energy and whatever when you get there and excited and doing that job with a joyful heart. And if you don't really, I feel like if you don't really love what you're doing, this is, especially going through the process of becoming a CSC, it's kind of grueling. It's not an yeah. easy thing. Um, so if you're, if you're listening to this, understand why you want to do it and be able to articulate that, that can be a very helpful thing. Um, okay. So personal statement. So you have this conversation with them where they send you their personal statement and then. Then we have a, the call and, and the call or video conference is really just getting to know each other a bit better. Okay. And at that point I, we're looking for mutual fit. Do we actually get along? Uh, is there, um, any sign that this might not work? that there isn't a fit, which actually hasn't happened. And, and I don't, for, for me, everyone that I've spoken to has demonstrated that there's someone I want to work with. Okay. But it's also where we start establishing some agreements about what it'll be like working together. And, and some of the key parameters are number one, there'll be no slides. So it's going to be ah, a slide okay. free, PowerPoint free experience. And as a first criteria is like, Will that work for you? Is that acceptable or is that a problem? Because if it's a problem, then we're not going to move forward. Okay. 
So most people are, are least familiar with how to teach without slides. And so you're drawing so, all for the folks that have not seen this kind of a class, you're talking about drawing on the whiteboard or whatever the whole time. Yes. For artifacts that I produce, yeah. I'll either be filling in a pre-printed poster okay. or, or I'll be sketching. I probably go through 20 flip charts in two days, but actually the other 20 to 40% of artifacts are created by students. Okay. And you, in the course of the experience. Okay. Do you give them a workbook or anything like that? Or they're just creating their own artifacts as they go? No, we, it's a, about a hundred page workbook. Okay. Okay. With all sorts of not only activities and uh, text to read and, and summaries, but also an appendix with uh, articles and reading uh, future reading lists. So this is, this is another reason why it's, they have to have the experience teaching because there are lots of people who start out their teaching career by standing in front of others and reading PowerPoint slides to them. And if, right. if you're not even going to let them have slides, then they're, <laughs> <laughs> some folks that they would really struggle with that yes okay. yeah the crutch is gone if they're used to powerpoint and they also have to know the material really really well to know what what has to be covered when it has to be covered in the course things right. like that okay so yeah. how many people do you work with at a time that's a good question well i i actually don't limit it right now i probably should put some whip limits on my kanban board however this is you know, part of the initial conversation is that this is a pull system and the candidate pulls me across the uh, path. So, uh, so I've sort of explained the first call that the next step after that is we actually create a formal agreement and it's just like a coaching alliance. Okay. Right. So we're, we're, we're making commitments to each other about how we're going to collaborate uh, expectations of each other. Uh, if we're going to, you know, schedule a meeting and if one of us has to, uh, reschedule. We're going to give each other at least 24 hours notice. Uh, how we're going to collaborate that, you know, we'll store our materials on Google Docs. We, we actually sign it. Okay. So this is our agreement for how we're going to work together. Then our next video conference is going to be the candidate teaching me Scrum in eight minutes, which, uh, you know, I, I, I don't even know who started. It might've been Lisa Atkins, but that's the first thing Carlton Nettleton did with me is like, teach me Scrum. Okay. which is a fantastic way to evaluate somebody's not only their scrum knowledge, but what they can communicate in eight minutes and yeah. how accurate they are and how crisp and clean it is and, and the medium they choose to, to do that because typically I'm watching them either draw from scratch on a whiteboard from, from their memory or like me, they have something you know pre-drawn and they're filling in. So can I ask a question about this? Cause this, sure. I'm really curious about this. Um, to me, the timing is a really big deal for anybody, especially before they go to attack panel. And, and I think that that would be incredibly valuable to have people do that. I'm just sort of thinking that most of the time when I start working with people, if I said, teach me scrum in eight minutes in a conversation, it would probably be mostly a disaster. But what it would give me a sense of is how they're thinking through it and how they're making choices about where they're going to spend their time. Um, what topics are going to cover, what rabbit holes are going to fall down, things like that. Or are you expecting them to be at that level where they can literally get through everything in eight minutes? I don't have, I don't have any expectations. Okay. Uh, I, I, when I'm explaining what I want them to do when they're scheduling that cause is, um, like I said, I want to see them standing up on, on video 
showing me something visual and and walking me through the oh, workflow. Oh, not just talking I, to you, actually teaching to you like you were a student in the classroom. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're basically teaching to the camera, and um, then I say, "Hey, the roles, the artifacts, the events, and the rules." Okay. If they if they ask me like, "Do I need to cover values?" Like, no, values isn't part of the workflow. Um, and and really, you know, at that point, it's it it's amazing what people do. So you know, I run a timer while they're doing it. So I, I will give them feedback on how long it actually took. Now some. Sometimes they've rehearsed themselves so well, they've, they're like hitting eight minutes almost exactly. Yeah. Sometimes they might be at 10 because they add a little bit, they fumble a bit. Sometimes they're like 15, 20, they just didn't yeah. practice, but they've, but they've really shared a lot of information. And then I play perfection game to give them feedback. Okay. When they're done, it's, you know, a number one to 10, you know, with 10 being perfect. And I tell them everything I liked. And then I really give them the hard feedback. Okay. Uh, you know, the common myths that, 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 that are stuck in their head, right? It's all user stories, user story, right. user story, user story. Like, you know, the product backlog and that's the first thing I'll start drilling is you've got to change your vocabulary, which is hard, right? You can want to slip and say user story. So it's, uh, it's partially understanding of what the ideas actually are and part of staying current with the language that's being used, like not saying grooming anymore and things like that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, so every once in a while, it's, it's rare that they'll, they'll have to do it again before we move on. Okay. Most of the time, it's good enough. And we'll move on to defining the course flow uh, and mapping. So two, two things are produced at that point. One is, how does a candidate envision crafting their own course flow to cover all the material? Okay. So, the next, so again, this is where we get into the candidates driving the progress. I said, whenever you've got it, you tell me, and we'll get together again. I want to see your breakdown of the two days, which topics go into which time block. Okay. And also, I want to see their draft mapping document. And you're expecting like, them to have this stuff timed out? I'm not, I don't need, actually time out my stuff. So I don't necessarily need to say, this will take me 42 minutes, and this will take me 12 minutes. No, but I, would like expect, I would expect that if you, because of your experience, if you went up on a, you know, in a classroom and we said, here's a topic and here's 10 minutes that you could use that 10 minutes and not go over it because you would have an awareness of time and what things to add and what things to cut out. I think when people are right. pushed for the first time, they're just looking at it going, yeah, I'll read, I'll do this in five minutes. I mean, I see, I see a lot of that people who think they understand time until they try to track it and then you, they realize they don't. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think of applying the same idea to higher levels. Like, okay, if we, if we start the class at nine and you've got three hours, what do you plan to cover in those three hours? Yeah. And then what do you plan to cover from, you know, one to five? Yeah. That, that's all I'm looking for okay. um, in, the, in the flow. Because then at that point, I can give them feedback on the flow, see if there's anything that's, that doesn't sync. It seem like it's in the right order, maybe some changes. Okay. Um, but once we've got the flow nailed, then we distribute the work. So what I mean by that is I tell the candidate, look, you've got to choose at least half of the topics. You can choose more, but at least half. So first time out of the gate, they're going to do 50% with you. Right. I only work with people in one life class. Oh, okay. Okay. Because our preparation is so intense. Okay. So 
they choose the topics they want to cover and and we agree on the topics I'm going to cover. Sometimes that's uh, the things that they're less comfortable with. Some And sometimes those are the things that um, they feel like they're solid and they'd rather do the things they aren't as comfortable with in, in person to get my feedback. Yeah. Um, but, but we literally established the... Uh, the distribution of work, trying to find the right balance. So it's not all one person, you know, for five hours and not all someone else for five hours. So you're, and you're, you're code creating a new course each time. You're not asking them to just like climb on the back of yours and do some of your topics. Right. Cause during my experience, one of the hardest things I did and probably the worst yep. co-training experience I had was somebody throwing a bunch of slides at me an hour before. Yeah class and saying teach this <laughs> i was gonna ask you i was gonna ask you if you had some like early horror stories from training and that is my biggest horror story the first time i taught pmp i wasn't allowed to see the slides until i got up in front of people and they took me down four minutes yeah they took pulled me down four minutes later um yeah it was awful yeah so we don't i don't do that okay. um to somebody they're going to build out their modules and i'm going to help them do that and then i take if, if what I'm going to teach is something I already do, like I say, hey, Jason, you take scrum rules. I just literally lift out my scrum rules module and plug it in. Okay. If there's, if there's a unique approach, like, hey, I really want a, a full module on product owner, then I may have to create a new module myself, which is actually fun. I get to do some new design work yeah. on some of these key topics and, and blend it in. Okay. So yeah, that's pro I would say probably the, the biggest part of the value stream is the course construction and the co-design and merging of the content into a cohesive new workbook. Which I imagine that's great for you because you're getting insights and you're getting to see things from a different person's eyes. And I mean, from I, I find that to be the most valuable thing about doing this stuff, doing the co-training is they come in with stuff. I'm like, wow, that's, a, I've never thought of that before. Yeah, exactly. One of, one of, I did a co-training with uh, one of the staff of applied frameworks, um, Kim. Um, and she created probably the coolest game I think I've ever seen. It was like a wheel of fortune on scrum values. It was just amazing. Wow. All in PowerPoint. And she had this great opener. She added to the day, this sort of an icebreaker that was relevant to, collaboration and thinking outside the box is just really well done. Yeah. So that, that is the cool part. So I have one question about this. I'm kind of curious to ask you. So you applied frameworks is in North Carolina, right? Well, the East coast office. Oh, wow. Is in North Carolina. All right. So yeah. Tell us. Maybe, yeah. So maybe the, you should just tell us about the company and then I'll ask my question. Sure. So, Applied Frameworks started in 2006 as Entheosis okay. in California. So it's a California company that was founded by Luke Homan. And I joined Luke as a consultant uh, 1099 in 2008. And through a series of events, we spun out what is now Contenio, which is the innovation games company, right. the software company that Luke now runs. And when I became the CEO, we rebranded the company as Applied Frameworks. Okay. Which really, I think, matches what we are now, which is identifying the appropriate business frameworks to solve 
common challenges. Okay. So you're so not everything like, you're not specifically in one agile camp or the other. You're about finding the best way to get the work done in any situation. That's right. Okay. Exactly. Yep. All right. So you got offices in California still? We we share we share the office with uh, Luke's company. Okay. So we've got a you know California address and then we've got you know the, the North Carolina Okay. So presence. So in North Carolina um, I know that you teach there even we'll talk about your new classes and why you're doing less public ones in a mo you know physical public ones in a moment but um, that's a pretty crowded area for CSTs and you're doing co-training and you're creating more competition for yourself I actually don't look at it that way I, I look at my so I've two motivations for working with candidates one is the topic we just talked about you learn a lot from other yeah. people it's just a, an experience that is is well worth it and frankly it, it was so so great for me as a candidate uh, it, there's a bit of paying it back and mentoring somebody yeah. else and building a new relationship but more importantly I, it's not competition for me it's another cst to fulfill demand that i receive so I'm, I'm kind of driving our operations manager a little bit crazy she's maintaining the 2019 schedule and we've got i think uh, 10 CSTs teaching courses on behalf of life frameworks wow. around the world next year already. And we're not even at the end of December. Wow. So the new candidates become people I can call or that Brooke can call yeah. and book. Right. So, so my goal is to never say no to a request, Okay. but I don't scale. Right. right. So that uh, I'm generating new CSTs to fulfill the demand. I, I I actually don't believe the demand is falling off. It's, okay. It in some ways, it's accelerating. So, I, I agree with that. I also feel like those people push me to. They make me feel like if there is more competition, I've just got to be that much better every single time I do it. Um, I like the competition of it. So, you're doing another kind of class now, um, and I know it is really unique in the space. Can you explain a little bit about? that and how it works for folks who because I'm, I'm getting starting to get asked about this in class and I'm not doing any of these yet so maybe you can sure. explain how this works so Carlton and I built CSP FastPass to fulfill a mission that the managing director of Scrum Alliance at the time identified at the Scrum Gathering uh, several years ago and, and the problem that we identified was that we're not elevating people from the foundation certifications of Scrum Master and Product Owner to CSP at a good enough rate. And she was right. I mean, it was a, it was a paltry percentage of people reaching the certified Scrum professional level. So her challenge was effectively... Uh, You're talking about Carol, right? We should give her props. Right. Carol McEwen. Carol McEwen said, you know, we, we've got to get, I think it was like 100,000 CSTs. Uh, I think it was like a five-year goal. And Carlton and I looked at each other and said, you know what, this is something we ought to think about and pursue. And we went down that path. And we did some market research uh, together and found that people actually were attracted to the notion of online training for this. And at the time, the CSP wasn't really defined very well. It was, we, we used to say it's a choose-your-own-adventure. People had to accumulate SEUs and it, was, it wasn't hard to figure out and people just took forever, just checked out and stopped and quit. So we said, well, we'll create the path and we'll create the journey and 
make it easy. And we called it fast pass because we said you can get done in, in, uh, 12 weeks. Okay. And we did a couple of lean startup experiments. We built an MVP website and we saw there was enough interest and we built it. We built the online platform, uh, for people to take, uh, on-demand lessons and progress through a series of activities to learn these concepts. And then there was some sort of challenge where they actually had to apply what they learned in their job okay. and create some, some sort of experience report that we would you know, evaluate and grade and provide feedback. Okay. So we did that and, and we're this is going to take it, them from CSM the, all the way to CSP. Right. Okay. Right. So when the Scrum Alliance came out with the new path to CSP with the advanced Scrum Master and the CSP Scrum Master and advanced product owner and CSP product owner, effectively we just transitioned our platform to have four different programs with a series of courses that meet all of the new learning objectives. Okay. Now the, the difference between what we built initially was uh, a cohort based program where the first eight people were in a group, they started together, they went through the same lessons together and they, they effectively graduated together. Right. Now it's a subscription model. Okay. People can buy uh, advanced certified scrum master one year subscription and they go at their own pace. They can take the courses in any order they want. And effectively we validate their completion of learning objectives by uh, how they move through the courses and, and complete the objectives. And we give them, you know, obviously their, their positive feedback and their improvement uh, okay. in some case they have to repeat assignments and things like that. And we, in fact, just before this, we had our uh, coaching circle. So uh, we limit the coaching circles to 10 people and they're one hour long. And that's our interaction with the learners. So we have a minimum of four coaching circles to complete the program. And it was great. And we had people dialing in from all over the U.S. We had someone calling from Sydney. Wow. We build a quick, I, I don't know how Carlton does his now, but we do a quick lean coffee backlog using weave uh the Continuo product okay and we just go through the topics and just time box them and there are topics today everything from how do i deal with uh remote employees and doing retrospectives to uh i've got an issue with uh organizing my backlog and it's non-software development what do i do and it's not just me interacting it, you know people are asking clarifying questions providing their own insights, sharing tools and, and articles and a lot of peer-to-peer -peer interaction. And, and then I chime in from time to time with ideas and I really enjoy them. That's it's very cool. it's like many, many facilitation and coaching sessions yeah. uh, together. So you're, so there's still, I mean, that was initially one of my concerns about the, the virtual classes. You lose that personal touch, but you're still having that, that contact with them. You're still getting that. Right. So e either it's asynchronous in the commenting system we use to, uh, to support their completion of the, of the courses and, you know, giving them feedback. Like one of our challenges is to create a non-software definition of done. And sometimes they're perfect and they're just great. Right. Like I got one on cooking and sometimes you see someone intermingling acceptance criteria and definition of done. Then we have a conversation, you know, in the comments like, Hey, this doesn't quite look right. Have you thought about this? I thought about that. They redo it and then you say, okay, now they get it. Um, so there's that. You can see them you know, evolve. 
Right. But it's also our communication. It just happens to be at different times, but then we get to real time experience on the coaching circle. Okay, cool. And so if they want to learn more about this, they can go to uh, Applied Framework or do you guys have a separate URL for it's, this one? It's cspfastpass.com. Okay. So certified scrum professional fastpass.com. Okay. Um, yep. And I'm, I'm going to ask you one more question, but before I do that, do you want to share your contact information in case they want to get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, it's jtanner at appliedframeworks.com. Okay. So J for Jason, Tanner at Apply frameworks. All right. And so here's my final question. What advice, what's, what's like one piece of advice that if you could put this in the head of every CST candidate, everybody who calls you, your whole world would be better. Hmm. So the one piece of advice would be that the ability to deliver a certified scrum master course depends on your own self-confidence that you've mastered the your own understanding of scrum and the scrum framework your own presence in front of a group of people and your and your willingness to really listen to the needs of your students i think if you recognize that you can design what they need yeah and then adapt to what happens in real time in the classroom. Cool. That's awesome. And yeah. do you, since you just said that, I want to ask, do you find that you are constantly making choices and decisions and changing things all throughout the day when you're teaching based on what they're doing and kind of how things are going? Or are you pretty kind of locked in? Uh, I do make, I, I would say there's lots of micro adjustments. Okay. And particularly on day two, because I, I spend a lot of time on daily scrum. I'm a, I'm a bit on a mission to fix daily scrums in the world. Ooh, um, but we okay. do a daily scrum. And part of that experience for the daily scrum is they're telling me what they're really looking forward to on day two. So I'm making notes okay. throughout the daily scrum, no matter how big the class is, I kind of sense the energy of what people really want. So coming out of that, the daily scrum module, I'll start adjusting how long we're going to spend in different things okay. based on their level of interest and energy. Uh, occasionally I'll do something wacky. I was co-teaching with another one of my employees and I completely changed the simulation in real time. Like I literally sketched it on a piece of paper. This is what we're going to do for sprint review and sprint retrospective. My simulation is now sprint review and retrospective with the backlog I create. And I literally wrote it on a bunch of index cards. Says, Here's our sprint backlog for the next hour and a half. It's wow. like, are you crazy? I'm like no, we we need to figure out if this is going to work, and we're going to do it right now. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so all right, so I would I don't want I do want to ask you now about daily scrum, but I'm not going to do it now because we've been at this for a while, and it's Friday night, and I'm sure you got other stuff you can do. But maybe we can do it in Austin. Will you be in Austin at the gathering? Sure. Okay. Yep. So maybe we can block out some time, and we'll try to. I'll ask you about how you're trying to fix it then. But dude, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it, and thank you for all helping right. all the candidates and getting them more ready. Because it makes it easy. My pleasure. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely my pleasure, and I appreciate the invitation. Cool. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you.